0: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but an excellent one. Grant Wall is one of the foremost soccer journalists in America. I am certainly biased there. I worked with Grant at Sports Illustrated for many, many years. I'm a big fan and admirer of his work, but I don't think that's hyperbole to say as well. A number of you have wanted me to do some kind of like World Cup uh, media preview show. And, uh, and this will be this. Uh, Grant, uh, kind enough to make some time in his schedule before he heads to Qatar. Let's give him some promotion before we bring him in. His independent site, that's grantwald.com. That's a subsec site. He'll be reporting on the ground from Qatar from the entirety of the World Cup. That runs from Sunday, November 20th to Sunday, December 18th. Grant will be there starting November 14th. So that's six days before the first game. Um, He'll be focusing, obviously, when he's in country on a lot of soccer. But prior to that, he's done a lot of writing and work on human rights. This week, his site will publish the Qatar Chronicles Part 2, which is part of his um, reporting that he did in a trip to Qatar earlier this year. Part 1, he spoke to migrant workers at 14 FIFA hotels in Doha to find out how the laws there were protecting migrant workers or not protecting migrant workers from being enforced on the ground. Most of them, as he will tell you, were not. In part two, he's writing about the the hotel the U.S. team is staying at, which I imagine is, uh, you know, one of these billion-dollar hotels. And probably, I imagine, without having seen this piece yet, sort of maybe the contrast of those two worlds, and then how U.S. soccer and what U.S. soccer will be doing on the ground. And with that long introduction, I am uh, pleased to be joined by Grant Wall. Grant, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Richard, and and thanks for that nice introduction.
0: We got it. Okay, so, you know, we're taping this uh, as we hit the first week of uh, November, and so you're going to be heading to Qatar very soon. Let me just ask you, like, you know, I understand, like, you're not going to report in North Korea or Russia. That said, you know, this is not a fun trip to, uh, you know... Barcelona will you be getting tapas and hanging on the Ramblas as well like this is a different kind of country so what what are your I mean are you nervous are you excited is it a combination of both what are you thinking about uh, you know as you're about uh whatever it is two weeks away from traveling there
1: You know, it's a combination of all those things. You know, this is my 13th World Cup to cover, uh, eighth on the men's side. I've covered five women's. And so I have an idea of how World Cups work from a journalism perspective. I've also been to Qatar twice now, once for a magazine story in 2013 for Sports Illustrated and once earlier this year for the stories I have coming out on my site. And the country has changed in those nine years. And... You know you can actually go and get a beer or a glass of wine at restaurants now in in hotels and and so that's changed and obviously there's been a, a ton of construction in the last nine years uh an entirely new metro system uh a bunch of new stadiums for this world cup and so it's been really interesting for me to to see that growth that qatar has had and all the money they've spent but a lot of the issues that we were concerned about when Qatar got the World Cup hosting rights in 2010 have continued to be issues. So that includes the treatment of migrant workers there, uh, whether those are construction workers, hotel workers, domestic workers. And yes, new laws were passed in Qatar in 2019 that gave more protection on paper to migrant workers there. But part of my reporting this year is has been to um, talk to workers and just go there and give them anonymity and get a sense from them about whether these laws and which ones are actually being followed on the ground. And, and what I found was uh, they told me that in many cases they aren't being followed. Some are more often like the new minimum wage, uh, which for a lot of people is progress, especially in that region. And yet it's still $1.25 an hour in the richest country in the world per capita. So um, there's a lot of that that's going on in my head because, you know, once the World Cup starts, it's going to be about a ton of soccer. There's going to be four games a day. It's going to be wall-to-wall soccer. But in the month before this tournament, I wanted to um, to go and, and do this type of work on, on the human rights side of things and feel good about, you know, the work I've done. And, and so that part's been interesting. But yeah, I mean, like, you're right. It's not North Korea, um, and yet journalists have been detained in Qatar for doing journalism. I didn't publicize that I was going there earlier this year until I had left. Uh, I did get credentialed by FIFA, and I think uh, I should be allowed to, you know, do the journalism I want to do there once the World Cup starts. But I'm not a hundred percent certain that it's going to be something that, uh, you know, I, I won't get bothered for for something i don't know you know and, and so i think there's some questions heading into the tournament
0: all right so a couple things there we will get to the soccer in this podcast uh we'll go through the groups and do some soccer stuff because i'm obviously very interested in that I, I love watching the world cup as grant knows um what what is the situation you know one of the things and again I, i'm no expert on qatar what, one of the one of the things you read about though is the the lack of rights for lgbtq there, and also it seems like women in many situations are essentially second-class citizens, if that's even the right um, phrasing of that. What did you find with those two stories uh, when when you were reporting there?
1: Yeah, there's a real concern about LGBTQ rights, real concern about women's rights uh, in Qatar, in addition to what we were talking about with migrant workers. So uh, same-sex relationships are illegal in Qatar. Uh, Qatar has said they're not going to arrest people for holding hands or wearing rainbow flags or carrying rainbow flags. Um, but at the same time, people I've talked to there say, as with, they really frown upon public displays of affection. And uh, that includes for hetero couples as well. But uh, if you are very much having public displays of affection, and waving rainbow flags around, and are what I'm told is like, you know, flamboyant. You might run the risk of being stopped by security forces or police there, and that's obviously a huge concern. Um, you know, U.S. fans are going to be attending. I do know U.S. soccer. I think has been very well-meaning about how they've approached their strategy in dealing with these things, and they're very specific. U.S. soccer in saying. Uh, We're preparing our players, our staff, our fans for three particular areas, migrant workers, women's rights, LGBTQ rights, and U.S. soccer has been adamant about saying we're going to fly the rainbow flag at our night before parties because we want all of our fans to know that this is a safe space. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Um, In terms of access uh grant uh and not necessarily like access like in the city because that's always uh you know that's always sort of hard to figure out and probably will depend on when you're there i i I, trust me i proclaim to not be any kind of like uh you know woodward and bernstein type when i was covering olympics particularly in china and stuff but even i like when you're walking around you sort of had a feeling that like there were places that you could go and then if there were certain places you could go outside of the bubble like you know, security was going to, I don't want to say fuck with you, but they were going to let you know you shouldn't be there. Um, the access about the game though, stuff is different to me. And this is, that's a whole other world. So do you have a sense yet in terms of like what kind of access you will receive as a world cup journalist when it comes to like where you're sitting? Um, will you have access to players or coaches? Like how does that stuff work?
1: I don't expect this World Cup to be any different from any of the previous World Cups I've covered in terms of the day-to-day access to players, coaches, things like that. You know, FIFA has a a way that they go about doing things. They don't open locker rooms like we see in U.S. professional sports after games. It's very Olympic style. They have what they call a mixed zone where the players will walk through and credentialed media can ask them questions and the, the players can either talk or not talk, they can do whatever they want as they walk on their way to their team bus. Uh, I've got some fun stories over the years from mixed zones, but uh, there's also a press conference after every game uh, where they bring the coaches, and that's a more formal uh, press conference where journalists can ask questions and get answers. Uh, I think FIFA does a pretty good job organizing those things, uh, and I get what I need usually uh, post-game in those situations, and then I'll be covering the U.S. team every day as long as they're in the tournament and they will have media at their training site and will do media every day and and they run a good operation uh, so that you kind of know what to expect. So I expect it'll be very similar to previous World Cups. Obviously, it's been eight years since the last time the U.S. men were in a World Cup. But uh, that process I'm not concerned about.
0: Do you have any sense, uh, even anecdotally, just from being part of this world, like how much US media will be covering this?
1: I think well, there will be quite a few US media there. You know, the World Cup has become a truly big time event in the United States, both the men's and the women's World Cup. And I think ESPN had a lot to do with that, with how, when John Skipper was running ESPN, they really covered that in such a first-class way i think 2010 in south africa uh all the great work done by bob lee and so many other people at espn they devoted a ton of resources to it and they did the same thing for 2014 in brazil obviously fox sports got the rights after that and i think has you know like uh built on what espn has done uh, and obviously, there's Spanish language rights in the U.S. too, which Telemundo has. So, um, like, I think from a TV perspective, like, it's really cool what's happened to the World Cup in the United States uh, over the years because it's not the same as it was in in two thousand two or two thousand six.
0: The yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I want I do want to ask you about the even though you won't be watching it because you'll be there the 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 sort of the broadcast approach here the the um, the gold standard I think for a soccer broadcast like how to cover a soccer tournament is is espn in south africa it it hasn't been duplicated i'm not sure it will ever be duplicated they they approach that on both uh like a real journalistic but also like informative information as well as very uh impressive sort of soccer centric broadcast they were able to basically do everything from explaining south africa's history uh Apartheid and everything else to like literally covering the tournament to giving, as you said, so many hours to soccer, which had never been done before. So Fox has its approach, and I think, generally speaking, any of us—and I don't put myself in this—I was sort of, um, I wasn't optimistic, but I wasn't pessimistic. I sort of wanted to see what happened with Fox as a, as a soccer steward. And I, I, you know, I think that in terms of the game production and things like that, I, I think they have been a decent steward. I think they have covered. Uh, on the field um, really, really well. They, I think they invested in some good play-by-play and analysts. Um, The studio show, that's always going to be subjective. Like, you know, I, I would like Kate Abdo to be the head studio host. Fox Fox has, I think, Rob Stone doing it. No, No disrespect to Rob Stone. He's fine. But, you know, we all get into this stuff. Like, you might like Alexi Lalas. Somebody else might like Taylor Twelman. That, that's all subjective things. I will say this, Grant. And this is one I do want to get your comment on. And by the way, just for transparency's sake, Grant did used to work at Fox. Um, Correct. As part of uh, their group. They have made it very clear that they're not going to cover anything about Qatar in terms of outside of the stadium. Like They're literally going to be like, we're not, we're not touching any of this. I guess maybe the one caveat would be like if there was some really horrific thing that happened in the pitch, I don't know how you could avoid it. Um, NBC proved at the Olympics this year that you can cover some of these issues, as they did with China and human rights, uh, as they did during the, even the opening ceremonies by having two uh, academics basically on to explain to you like what all this stuff means in a geopolitical world. And the Chinese, as Bob Costas told me a couple weeks ago, like did not kick them out of the country. like You know <laughs> what I mean? like it, like The world didn't end. The network didn't fold. They were able to do their job. So I, I really don't understand why Fox can't do the minimum even though they've clearly said that they're not doing the minimum. I feel like it's a, a massive abdication of like minimal editorial responsibility. Like I'm not naive. I don't expect Fox to go in there and do some kind of investigative report. It's just not what they do. They're not doing that. Like I'm a realist here, but I don't think it's asking much right. To just like one sort of, at least give the American public like a small sense of what this country is about politically. And two on the opposite side, don't promote this like, this is like a free uh, trip to the Poconos, and everybody's having fun and stuff. So again, I, I know I just went long there, and people can scream at me for asking like a 15-minute question. It's not even a question. It's more just to sort of bring it up to you, Grant. Like, how do you see this? You're, you're, I'm going to be watching this stuff here. You're not going to see this when you're in Qatar, but...
1: I will be, actually. Oh, I've, you I've, will got be? A VP, I've got a VPN, okay, so, so you I will should see. be able to watch it. So yeah.
0: again, like I just I, I don't understand why you can't do the minimum here. Like that doesn't seem like a lot to ask. You know, no one's asking for frontline or 60 minutes, just the minimum.
1: I I should put things in perspective. Full disclosure, as you mentioned, I did work for Fox from 2012 to 2019, including a few world cups, men's and women's. Um, I feel like I, I chose to not extend my contract with them in 2019. So that was my call, not theirs. Um, And I have a ton of friends who work there on the talent side who I think do terrific work. And I think I appreciate that Fox over the years for World Cups has given American voices real opportunities to broadcast games, to do studio work. Uh, I think there's a lot of talented people in the United States. And you may disagree with me on this, but uh, I don't think you need to hire a ton of uh, people from other countries no, no i totally
0: agree with you. i mean like, i did mean, oh, okay. i was just gonna say but like I, I think one of the things that fox has done phenomenally and i'll tip my hat to whoever it, i should tip my hat to i don't know if it's david Neal or others but like they have uh they have been phenomenal when it comes to like giving american voices particularly in the women's world cup and like really mm-hmm. pushing like um women to the forefront there to get some really high level analysts on there um and so i'm with you yeah i don't think you you don't need a You don't got to bring Andy Colin and Gary Lineker to have a great broadcast. By the way, no offense to Fox, but they did once bring Piers Morgan and Grant. But you know what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) No, and I I think I should say all of this because um, I feel like Fox probably got a little lucky that the two women's World Cups they've had, the U.S., won both of them. But Fox also had assembled a good group to cover those tournaments, I thought. Uh, not just of U.S. people, but other people. And then on the men's side, Fox has been unlucky, right, because the U.S. men did not qualify for 2018, which was Fox's first men's World Cup. And and that hurt. That hurt just about everyone in U.S. sports media, soccer media. Um, now, when it comes to Fox and what they've said publicly is, we're not going to cover human rights, we're not going to cover women's rights, we're not going to cover LGBTQ rights, like we've been talking about earlier here. And that's where I have an issue, because that is a choice they're making that other rights holders are not making in the world. That You're correct. NBC did not make that choice uh, in the China Olympics. Mike Tarika was very clear from the very start of that, talking about uh, the U.S. government, saying that, Uh, China committed genocide against its Uyghur population, explaining why there was a diplomatic boycott. Uh, Telemundo, by the way, covering this World Cup in Spanish in the U.S., is an NBC company, and they've said they will approach Qatar the way NBC did with the China Olympics. So that also is different than the approach Fox has said they're going to take. And I, I guess I just wish that Fox would be open about the situation here. They've got a massive sponsorship deal with Qatar Airways for this World Cup. You're going to see a lot of Qatar Airways ads during this World Cup on Fox. And Qatar Airways is the Qatar government. So there's millions of dollars on the line for Fox with that relationship with Qatar Airways. And so not only it's not just that Fox will not be addressing the human rights issues, it's that Fox is also going to be, it looks like, because I've seen some of the stuff they've already put out there, that it looks like they're going to be doing almost like they're, tourism they're, infomercials. Yeah,
0: they're a PR arm of the tourism industry. Would you, agree you know, with so
1: you're going yeah. to see, you're going to see dune buggy rides in the desert, you're going to see camel racing, you're going to see falconry, all these things that make Qatar look like a great place to visit and do tourism in, and you're obviously not going to see anything with migrant workers uh, or LGBTQ people in the country or women uh, who are dealing with issues uh, in a very patriarchal society. So um, that, to me, is a really important thing. And so I have no problem saying publicly about a really important thing that decisions made at the highest levels of Fox are not good, I don't think. Um, And so I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, And we'll see how they cover uh this world cup um and uh i will be able to watch it on on thanks uh, to my vpn connection maybe, maybe to- i'll
0: maybe i'll uh, I, I might actually i didn't realize that but now maybe i'll just uh patrick antonini and i will reach out to you during the middle of the world cup and we can uh yeah we can sort of see how they're doing again like by the way grant you'll appreciate this on october 4th i email fox um asking for david neal one-on-one uh he's the head of uh, fox's soccer coverage they did say yes uh, I have not followed up, so this is probably on me. But it we are we are closing in as we're getting closer to World Cup. Let's right. see if that they know I'm going to ask about this. And by the way, I'm not saying like, oh, look at you, Johnny journalism. It's not even that. It's just like it's literally like a a thing that I think you have to ask an executive in um, in in this situation. And like you, Grant, I'm like again, no one is asking them to be frontline PBS or anything else. It's just
1: the minimal. And I—that's where actually. That's by where the I don't, way, I—I yeah. I, I slightly disagree with you on that. I—I I, I think they I'm could do. I'm just a real—they
0: could, but they're not. I mean, I'm a realist. Grant, you think Fox Sports is going to do some kind of in-depth journalism on Qatar? Come on.
1: I, actually, you know what happened in 2015? If you remember this, right before the Women's World Cup, that was when the big U.S. governmental sting and arrest took place of all the FIFA officials in Zurich, and. Fox asked me cuz I was working for Fox to do a report because Seth Blatter resigned and all this happened right before the start of that Women's World Cup and so they actually had me do a story that I thought was a good story. So they've been willing they basically felt like they couldn't ignore the elephant in the room at that point, so they're capable of it.
0: Um, well, I mean I think I, my, my counter to that is if you can't do Seth Blatter then maybe you just have to I mean come on. <laughs> then you got to just really you got a close-up shot.
1: But there's some amazing journalists at Fox Sports, t- like Tom Rinaldi, and oh, for um, sure. Amazing and Producers
0: behind the scenes, nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm with you on that. Okay. Anyway, thank you for answering that. Um, all right. Before we get into some of the soccer stuff, so let me go down. Let you know, you brought this up, so let's go down the. Uh, let's go down some of the personality uh, announcers here. I'm with you. I think they have a very good play-by-play match analyst crew, in order in terms of like sort of number one and going down. John Strong, Stu Holden. Terrific. Lead crew, they'll be doing the final. I assume they'll also do all the U.S. games. J.P. Della Cameron, Kobe Jones. Uh, Terrific. Yeah, J.P. obviously, you know, was there, it feels like, at the beginning of all this U.S. stuff, so I'm glad to see that he's still getting uh, some run. Derek Ray, who I really, really love, and Allie Wagner, who Fox is super high on. That's an excellent team, right? Yeah. Ian Dark. What can you say about Ian Dark? Yeah. Phenomenal. Landon Donovan, who I actually yeah. think is a pretty good analyst. I know you know Landon Donovan forever, yeah. right? Um, Jackie Oatley and Warren Barton. So there's your. that's a pretty, if that's your group of five, I'm with you. I think that's a very strong group.
1: I think it is. And Jackie Oatley is an amazing hire. I've known her for a long time. Yeah, agreed. She has set the standard and done really groundbreaking stuff uh, for women calling soccer games in England. And now she's going to be part of this World Cup. Outfit.
0: Next, your boy Lawless. I know you can't say anything bad about him, so let's just move on quick. He's great. Yeah.
1: Great teammate.
0: Yeah. Carly Lloyd. uh, It's a little too early for me to say. Like, um, I think the more reps she gets, uh, it seems like she'll get better. I I do understand that higher. Obviously, she's an incredible player. And she, historically, right? I mean, you covered her, was pretty honest. So the question is, can that translate into good television? I guess that's one we'll see Chad Johnson what do you think of that hire
1: um it reminds me a little bit of Steve Nash being hired by Turner to do Champions League uh I'm open-minded on this one but we'll have to wait and see he's going to be on that nightly show with uh Kate Abdo and Maurice Adu and and they're both terrific
0: yeah yeah I love uh, both those guys Clint Dempsey I think Clint Dempsey is a pretty good studio analyst.
1: Yeah. He's really broken out on, on CBS this year and fans love him. Um, And so I think it's, it's been good to see him sort of get familiar with this aspect of the job because Clint Dempsey had basically hidden out in retirement in North Carolina for a long time with his kids and his still growing family. And it was neat when CBS hired him and sort of brought him back and, um, you know, there's always this discussion, too, because they've hired Landon Donovan to do games with Ian Dark, you know, which is the better U.S. player in the history of the U.S. men's national team, right. Dempsey or Donovan. I hope they get Dempsey and Donovan doing some stuff together, yeah, because I be think good. that would be pretty fun in the studio.
0: I, I'm not, I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but how do you pronounce E-N-I-O-L-A, Aluko? Eniola. Eniola, Aluko. I, I, um, that's one I don't have anything on. Do you?
1: I I worked with Annie during the 2019 Women's World Cup, former England international. She has been serving as Angel City's uh, sporting director, uh, that very successful team so far, at least yeah. off the field uh, in the NWSL. And she does a lot of TV work in England. Uh, she's a trained lawyer uh there's a, a very few things that any can't do and so i am looking forward to hearing her again during this world cup all
0: right like dan kelly smith who i thought has done very good work for them the great english international um who has come over to fox and done some good work there so that's a you know that's an inch i mean you know understanding that grant's Grant thinks uh, Alexi is the Jordan of his genre. Um,
1: Let's <laughs> even putting words in my mouth.
0: I, know, I would I, say I just, this. I, think a, I just hope Alexi, Alexi hears this and gets mad. That's my only goal. Here.
1: A, a lot of people um, you find have- Alexi to be... Yeah, a, a polarizing figure. Well, he
0: is. That's not a lot. And, of, I mean, but that's, 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 what, that's
1: what he's trying to be. Yes, and he yes. is a character on television. He's a, do you
0: agree that he is? And by the way, I, personally, I, my all my interactions with Alexi Laws, I have really enjoyed. Uh, I disagree with him on a lot of stuff. But personally, I've enjoyed, Which is what he yeah. wants. Yeah. Do you not agree that he is in many ways a professional wrestling heel? on television
1: yes and I think he strives for that at times and I think Rob Stone who's also a huge wrestling fan likes to egg him on I think over the years Alexi probably himself wishes that he there had been more of a somebody on studios to come back at him hard because I think he's wanted that and that's Uh, something that hasn't totally happened, Stu Holden has occasionally uh, with Alexi, but I think that's one issue when you get some of these international studios where you have people from former players from different countries, is that whether it was in his ESPN days or now with Fox, that Alexi can sort of suck the oxygen out of the room sometimes because no one wants to come back at him as strong as he's coming. Um, And what's interesting for me in my experience, and full disclosure, I'm friends with Alexi, I think he's a great teammate. He actually wants everyone on that studio show to come off well. I don't know if I totally agree with him and his. He really thinks the embrace debate thing yeah, is is stuff. tremendously important, and I'm more. I have no problem with that to some extent, but like, would prefer a bit more analysis.
0: I will say that I have found, and again, I don't watch nearly as much soccer as you do, just to be candid, um, that when he a lot of times it's pretty good when. Um, he when he has been doing the women's World Cup, the women analysts will go back at him, and I find that to be pretty interesting yeah. television. I, I in my experience, like it's I agree with you a hundred percent. It doesn't feel like some of the other studio analysts on the set with him who are men, like will go back and forth. But that's really good to know. And honestly, like at the end of the day, how you are with your on air colleagues, how you are with producers, how you treat people, like. Um, who you work with in the studio, that's a million times more important to me than whether I think, uh, you know, you're doing hot takes or not. So that's good to hear about Alexi, to be honest. Um, all right. Rob Stone, Kate Abdo, studio host. Totally fine. Both love soccer. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm, definitely a flag waver for Kate Abdo. Anybody who can like do. She's great. Yeah. Anybody who can do soccer broadcasts in multiple languages, like deserves to be president or something like that. That's incredible to me. Uh, Jenny Taft. Rodolfo Landeros, and Jeff Shreves are the reporters. That's a position all three that you were once in, right? You like those three?
1: All three are very good. Jenny Taft is incredible. She actually grew up uh, in a French-speaking school, uh, going to that school in Minnesota. And so at the last World Cup, she was able to do interviews of Kylian Mbappe, and France won that tournament. And then... Do live simultaneous interpretation, which is just an amazing skill. Um, Jenny's fantastic. She's going to be with the U.S. team on the ground embedded. Uh, Saw her in Spain uh, during the last set of games with the U.S. And um, so she's phenomenal. Jeff Shreves is a veteran uh, from uh, sideline reporting in England. Uh, Nothing. We'll phase him, and, and he's very good. Worked with him at Fox. And Rodolfo Landeros is terrific as well. And he's a guy who, his first language is Spanish, but he now works in English and works really well. So they've got a good group.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Jenny Tepp's work. Uh, I'm glad you gave her a shout-out there. Uh, Tom Rinaldi, yeah. goes without, Phenomenal. I, I don't have piano music behind me, but goes without saying that... Uh, um you know he's first first class in terms of what he does and then Fox has a couple rules analysts uh Mark Klattenberg and Dr. Joe how do I pronounce that guys ma-
1: Dr. Joe Macnick
0: Macnick yeah so i mean very smart of Fox obviously in, in, a, in a VAR world to have those guys as well
1: really important too and so that's something that we've seen more and more in soccer broadcasting in recent years is having a, a rules analyst uh, Christina Uncle has done tremendous work on CBS with the Champions League and other, um, you know, other things they're broadcasting. To just be really clear um, in explaining what are the laws of the game, how do they apply to what we just saw, and what's your thought on was this the right call?
0: Yeah. By the way, the one thing, and this is kind of a, kind of an amazing thing about soccer. If you think like NFL fans and others are like uh, like concerned about Joe Buck, Aikman, Michael, et cetera, <laughs> soccer fans are unforgiving. I think Grant they are the toughest critics when it comes to the broadcasters. They are un- they will they are unforgiving on mispronunciations of names. They are unforgiving if they think that you are um, not up on whatever the strategy is or the rules are, and so that will be something to watch when it comes to Fox's broadcasters that i think in many ways like during the world cup those guys will be judged as harshly uh fairly or unfairly as any broadcaster in any sport
1: well i agree with that and also i would say here in particular Derek ray is phenomenal oh. when it comes to pronunciations this yep. is a guy so is who, Dark, by
0: the way they, they actually care yeah. about that
1: stuff yeah they do they really care they put in the work and and you know the famous story about Derek Ray is that he would contact embassies of the countries whose games he's broadcasting to get correct pronunciations of the players' names. And he's almost fanatical about it, but I love that because it's a sign of respect, it's a sign of professionalism, and... You know, you look at I I do bang my head against the wall when so many actually there's a lot of really good British broadcasters who still say Martinez instead of Martinez. And that's just wrong. Like if you're going to be a pro, get it right. There's so many Spanish speakers in the United States, especially if you're speaking to a a U.S. audience. Um, You know, get those names right. You know, the star of Mexico is Raul Jimenez, not Ruel Jimenez, you know. So um, Roberto Martinez is the coach of Belgium.
0: Yeah, when I hosted way back when, Grant, the Sports Illustrated Soccer Podcast back when... Oh, I remember. Yeah, my uh, pronunciations of European players were just disgraceful. So I deserved all... uh, (laughs) You were terrible. Yeah, yeah, all honestly, all uh, yeah, all criticism warranted <laughs> my way. All right, well, let's get. We'll finish up with um, we'll finish up with a couple of thoughts on the tournament itself and the groups. But before that, um, very fair to say, right? Leo Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, le- likely last World Cup for both of them. That in itself is a massive, massive story, in my opinion. Grant, in addition to the uh, each of the groups with each of the teams, et cetera.
1: It really is. You know, these are the, the two best players in the world for about 12 years. And, um, you know, one of them won the Ballon d'Or award every year for that long, you know, and, and that hasn't been the case this year. Kareem Benzema will it, but still these are very good players who, who, who aren't on teams that could win the world cup. And Leo, Leo Messi in particular is on fire lately at PSG is club. And, His Argentina team hasn't lost in 34 games. They won the Copa America last year over Brazil in the final. This is the best Argentina team I've seen around Lionel Messi. Probably even better than the 2014 team that got to the final and lost to Germany. So uh, I'm really excited about what Argentina can do. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo in Portugal, Ronaldo has not had a great stretch here with Manchester United where it's a bad fit right now and he basically doesn't start much at all and has had some petulance issues that got him suspended from the team for a little while recently. But it's still Cristiano Ronaldo he's still a player who can score goals and impact games. and That, and group, he
0: has, that, that group is doable,
1: right? Yeah, and he's got good teammates around him. Rafael Leao is an emerging star for AC Milan. And, and so um, I think Portugal could, could do well in this World Cup. And it would be amazing, obviously, if, if somehow Messi and Ronaldo ended up going against each other in an elimination game.
0: Oh, but Now you, listen, David Neal, Lachlan <laughs> Murdoch, Eric Shanks... Alexi Lalas, that's a dream for that. I mean, that's you know, obviously your dream is to get to the U.S. to get to the final, which isn't happening. But like otherwise, you know, those are the kind of matchups you're looking for, which you know you could you're you're deep into the millions with that stuff. All right, Group A: Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands. Um, you know, interesting teams. Uh, I feel like people in the U.S. like have a bit of a fondness for the Netherlands. Dutch play interesting soccer. Uh, what's your quick thoughts about that group?
1: I really like this Dutch team and their coach, Louis van Gaal. He was the coach in 2014 when they got to the semifinals. Um, Just a character of the game. Love it when he gives press conferences. Um, Senegal is the most intriguing African team to me. They're the African champion. And I think they're capable of doing something historic for an African team. You know, we've never seen an African team get past the quarterfinals at a men's World Cup. And... This Senegal team, I think, would be the one to do it. You know, they've got terrific players like Sadio Mane, uh, like Khalidou Koul- Koulibaly in defense. Uh, just a good team. All you see, say, is a really good coach. Uh, and they've won stuff together. Qatar, bit of a mixed bag. They're better than most people think they'll be. Uh, they've played in the Copa America in the Gold Cup. They've gotten some decent results. Uh, Over the last few years, they've naturalized a couple of players. Uh, They're going to be better than most people are going to expect, and they're playing at home. Um, So, you know, those are the three most interesting teams in the group for me.
0: Uh, Group B, obviously, is going to be of massive interest to anybody listening to this. That's where the U.S. are. England is in that group. Iran is in that group. Wales is in that group. Um, You know, for my purposes as like sort of a a media person, U.S.-England, I would guess, is the most watched group stage game. Of them all. So if you're Fox, I feel like you got a great group, man. You got the the team that everyone cares about because it's host country. And then I, I don't think it's probably a stretch to saying England is probably the second most popular team in the United States, even though there are players on other teams who are more famous. You buy that?
1: I would argue the second most popular team in the United States is the United States, uh, that the number one is Mexico. Oh yeah, uh, which you know what? You're, you're
0: absolutely <laughs> right. I take that back. They'd be third. You're right. Mexico is the most popular team, 100%. Uh,
1: Which is also a quirk. Uh, But, um, you know, you look at this group, and on paper, the United States should get out of it. Um, I think they're good enough. Uh, But which United States team we will get is a big question. Will we get the U.S. team that I thought was tremendous when they beat Mexico? In World Cup qualifying. That was probably their best game of qualifying. And they've got all these young players uh, who play for big clubs. So, Christian pulisic at Chelsea, uh, you've got Weston McKenney at Juventus, you've got Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson at Leeds United playing every week, Gio Reyna at Dortmund. If those guys stay healthy and play to their ceiling, they'll get out of the group. If they play poorly, as we saw in in September in in a loss to Japan and a tie against Saudi Arabia the last games before the World Cup, the U.S. will not get out of the group. And I think there's real questions now about whether they're good enough to do it based on what we saw in the last window. Um, You know, you look at England. They've gone from being a team with a lot of talent that always underperformed to a team that actually goes deep into major tournaments now. They got to the final of the Euros at home and lost to Italy last year. They got to the semifinals of the last men's World Cup. Um, and they're good all over the field. So that game, you're right, the the USA England game on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving at 2 p.m. Eastern kickoff, that's going to just generate monster numbers. And I'm really excited about the build-up to that game and and everything about it. Remember, the U.S. has never lost to England in a World Cup. And there's not a huge sample size, but 1950, greatest upset in World Cup history. U.S. beat England. They tied in 2010 when Rob Green let Dempsey shot go in. And uh, even on the women's side, U.S. has never lost to England in a World Cup, by the way. So, Um, there's a lot there and the the countries have a real tie in soccer terms so I'm I'm really excited for that and then the opening game for the U.S. against Wales that's not an easy team they've gotten to the World Cup and you know we'll see if Gareth Bale's fully healthy he hasn't been lately for LAFC but they've got other good players and they've gotten experience in the Euros and done well in the Euros at times so uh, not a gimme and then the last game for the U.S. and the group is against Iran which has a ton of political history behind it, but also World Cup history because they did play in the 98 World Cup and Iran beat the U.S. and eliminated them from the tournament. So um, Iran won't be a pushover. They're the highest ranked team from Asia. So on paper, it's a tough group. On paper, the U.S. should get out, but I'm not sure that they will.
0: You know, the one thing I just want to, it's not to say a pushback on you on, but do you, do, you, do you think really if the U.S. team gets them success that there would still be more fans in the United States of the Mexican national team than the US team. And I only ask you that just because like the US is a pretty good front runner in terms of if a national right. team is doing well, people jump on the bandwagon. So maybe the differentiation would be like hardcore fans versus casuals, but I don't know. If if the if the US gets out of the group stage, don't you I mean, don't you think we're looking at like a, a bandwagon effect of people like wanting to watch that game?
1: i think that's true so you know if you remember in the brazil world cup there were some tv friendly times on the u.s men's games and we saw audiences into the 20 millions um and so yes i think those audiences would be higher than what we'll see in the u.s for mexico but to do that you need to add up the spanish language audience and yeah, the yeah. english language audience I'm but sure. um but still when you talk about the bandwagon fans and the possibility, I've had people ask me, well, what if the u s men got to the World Cup final? How big would that TV audience would it be? Would it be bigger than the Super Bowl, for example? And you know what? it might be. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think like I don't think it
0: would be, but it's a great conversation. like I, I think I've even had this with you before. I should probably do a column on it. I think um, I don't think eighty million is out of the question, but I do wonder if it could ever get to the hundred million mark. So many things would. You know, it had the time of the, the
1: timing. I mean, it would be the time tough. of and the game. Would it be zone. a factor
0: yeah. and some other stuff? You'd have to have a massive marketing buildup, but uh, but it would be. I mean, it would be. I think the second most watched, like quote unquote, like piece of content in a singular year behind the Super Bowl. That would be my. Prediction. That's probably fair. Um, Group C. All right, we talked about this earlier: Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland.
1: I mean. For Mexico, I think the the game against Poland is tremendously important because I think Mexico is a better team than Poland, but Poland has the superstar player in Robert Lewandowski. And, and we'll see if he can have an impact on that because he's still tremendous with Barcelona. Um, you know, Mexico-Argentina is going to be a really fun game. They played a lot against each other in World Cup, so there's a real history there. Um, you know, Mexican fans right now aren't too happy with Tata Martino, their Argentine coach. Um, and so there's, there is some pessimism, as there often is with Mexico among their fans heading into this tournament. But I think on paper they're good enough they should get out of the group. And then the question becomes: Can Mexico get to the famous quinto partido, their fifth game, because that's something they haven't done since 1986, and even the U.S. has done that in the Men's World Cup in 2002. Uh, so that's where the pressure is on on Mexico and Tata Martino.
0: Group D has one of the favorites, pre-favorites, uh, pre-pre tournament favorites: France. Uh, and then you have Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. But um, if you want to watch, obviously, some beautiful soccer, if they're playing at their peak, that French national team is phenomenal.
1: Well, here's my question, though, is there's a crazy trend that four of the fa- past five men's World Cup winners have gone out in the group stage of the subsequent World Cup. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. And it's enough now that you're like, is this maybe not a coincidence? Uh, you know, Germany went out after uh, in losing to Mexico in their group uh, in 2018, um, and France is a team that seems to either do extremely well at a World Cup or implode. And there's certainly some reasons for concern with France, even though I think this is a fairly easy group, uh, should be for them, where Paul Pogba's not going to be available, N'Golo Kante is not going to be available. They are tremendously deep, so they'll be able to fill in to a large extent. Um, But Kylian Mbappe... Uh, has had some issues with Pogba, who, if he's not there, I guess, maybe that actually helps a little bit. Uh, France is probably the most talented team in the tournament overall, but I don't know if they're going to win it. And if if history holds, they may not get out of the group. I think Denmark is a phenomenal team that's underrated a bit. When you look at, they don't have any superstars. They have a great story in Christian Eriksen. Uh, just the fact that he's alive and still playing after... Uh, he went into cardiac arrest on the field during the Euros. Um, You know, he's playing well for Manchester United, but their team is terrific. Um, And then, you know, Australia is always a bit of a wild card. Uh, If you're asking me, do I think France will buck the trend and be a a defending champion to get out of the group? Yeah, I think they probably will. I I don't know if they're going to win it, though. I think that would just be awfully tough to do two in a row. Um,
0: Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan in Group E
1: really interesting group um and i compare i mean spain and germany are obviously champions from 2010 and 2014 um and maybe don't have the best teams they've had but not far from the top and and they're just always stacked uh you know spain did get to the semis of the euros and germany's playing better again uh, these days, under Hanzi Flick, but Japan's a fascinating team to me. I, I compare them to the U.S. men a little bit because Japan has sort of, like the U.S., risen uh, in their stature in the sport from like the 1990s to today, and so they're a team that, like the U.S. on paper, you you think they've got a good shot to get out of the group at World Cups like they did in 2018. And they gave Belgium a great game before they ended up losing it in the elimination rounds. But Japan's got a tough group here, obviously, with Spain and Germany. And only the top two teams in the group will advance. So I think that's going to be tough for them.
0: Uh, all right. As we roll here, Group F, uh, Canada. I'm absolutely fascinated to see how they do. Belgium, Morocco, Croatia. thats uh, between. Um, that's a pretty interesting group. Tight group. I could see a number of scenarios how that might play.
1: I mean, for me, Canada was the best story in all of World Cup qualifying globally. Here's a country that hasn't been to the World Cup in the men's side since 1986. They Canada won this region's qualifying tournament, which that's 14 games of tremendous importance, including four games for Canada against the U.S. and Mexico, the traditional heavyweights. Canada did not lose any of those games. They got one win each against the U.S. and Mexico and got ties down in... Uh, The US and Mexico. So, tremendous talent. And Alfonso Davies obviously plays for Bayern Munich, but Jonathan David is one of the emerging uh, goal scorers in world soccer. And so, all across the field, they've performed well. And so, as a young team, this is a really interesting group for Canada, right? Because you've got two semifinalists from four years ago in Belgium and Croatia. Croatia went to the final, but they're older. And so I do wonder. On paper, Belgium and Croatia are the teams to advance here, but might they be a little too old? And might a team like Canada be able to take advantage of that?
0: Yeah, one well worth watching, and especially Alfonso Davies' health after his uh, scare a couple weeks ago. All right, we're finishing up here. Group G: Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. I, I I haven't seen enough of Brazil, but you know, if you're if you're any kind of fan of soccer, you're always kind of interested in how they're going to do.
1: I mean, Brazil's one of the favorites uh, to win this World Cup. Uh, aside from that loss to Argentina in the Copa America final, they've sort of run roughshod over the rest of the continent during World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, Neymar is a better player for Brazil than he is at club level, and he's been a pretty good player at club level this season. Um, and they have guys around him that I think just play very well for the national team. So... Um, this Brazil team, like, it's been 20 years since they last won a World Cup, 20 years since a, non, a non-European team won the World Cup. So I think it's a really important tournament for them to sort of say, hey, look, we're still here. Um, you know, Switzerland is a team that I would put out there to people as underrated. They eliminated France from the Euros last year, and Switzerland not any huge stars or anything, but they, they perform well as a team and, and seem to get results in major tournaments. All
0: right. and Then we finally get to the final group grant, but you did sort of cover uh, a little bit of that with Portugal, Uruguay, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, these are interesting teams a little bit on the old side to some extent. Uruguay still has a lot of their, their older stars like Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani, uh, but also some emerging players like Darwin Nunez, um, who's at Liverpool now. And, um, it's going to be fun to see Uruguay play Ghana again for the first time since that famous World Cup game in 2010 uh, where Luis Suarez had the intentional handball on the line to prevent a game winner by Ghana that would have sent them to the semis uh, and Uruguay ends up advancing. Um, so I, I, you know, Portugal, we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo and them earlier. I think they're good enough to win the tournament, but they're not in the top tier of teams that I would say are our favorites.
0: All right, before we get out of here, I should let you know that Grant's a producer in a new three-hour, uh, three-part documentary series on U.S.-Mexico's soccer robbery that's called Good Rivals, premiering on Amazon later in November. Check out, obviously, all his work on his independent site, grantball.com. He will be reporting on the ground from Qatar for the entirety of the World Cup. Grant, thank you uh, for coming on today and giving us a, uh, a really good primer. For what we're about to see, I wish you safe travels, and uh, I know I'll be reading, and I think, uh, and I think others will as well. Thank you for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Grant Wall and uh, his uh, excellent soccer analysis and content. We wish him uh, the best of luck as he covers the World Cup Qatar. Uh, previous uh, podcast, at least in the last couple of weeks, we had a conversation with Adam Amin and Nat Dan Burke. That was a ton of fun. Uh, great transparency and insight. A lot of laughs. Go check that out. Before that, Jamel Hill for over an hour talking about her memoir and experiences at ESPN. We did a podcast with James Andrew Miller on the future of ESPN. and are things now. Uh, a couple of the topics, the impact about Michaels criticizing Dan Snyder. Bob Costas came on this podcast not too long ago for a on one again the podcast continues if you leave us uh, some five-star reviews nice notes uh, that is uh, that's how things uh, continue to proceed here. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work thank you to everybody at cadence 13 most of all thank you for listening see you soon on sports media podcast.